Hey, welcome to uh, our uh, expository preaching conference here at Calvary Chapel San Bernardino. I'm Pastor John Miller, and uh, this is something that has been in the in the makings for many, many years, something that we've been praying about and desiring to do. And we host a monthly pastor's fellowship here at the church. We've been doing it for about 27 years. Last Tuesday of the month, you're welcome to, to come, and, and we study the subject of preaching and the ministry together, and it's been a great, great time. But uh, just wanted to kind of draw a larger group of guys together that just had a desire to preach the Word and a real commitment to specifically expository preaching. And so we're here today, and we're going to see uh, where in the future the Lord might lead us in, in future conferences. But talking to Skip a, a couple of months ago and sharing my vision and the idea, and he said, well, I'll I'm going to be out to preach for Greg. I could stick around. We could do a Monday. So uh, just for me, what a blessing and what a joy, not only to gather with you guys, a group of guys whose hearts God has touched, but to, to have my good friend Skip Heitzig here to share the word. And when I think about expository preaching, I, I think about Skip Heitzig. Skip and I have been friends for many, many, many years when we were actually both very young believers and young Christians. Uh, Skip was here in San Bernardino. We talked a lot about preaching, and uh, I learned about Harry Ironside through Skip Heitzig. He introduced me to, to Harry Ironside and G. Campbell Morgan, and we talked about those things. And so for years, we've just kind of uh, just encouraged each other and challenged each other, and we love to, 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 to preach the Word and to share our vision for preaching. So I knew that uh, our first time together, we had to have Skip come and share on the subject of expository preaching. So uh, Skip is, of course, the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Albuquerque, or Calvary of Albuquerque, and, uh, and just a blessing to have him with us this morning. So let's give him a warm welcome as he comes to share. Well, good morning. This is uh, encouraging to see so many people that are out uh, there's going to be three sessions, four sessions, I think, actually, John, if I'm not speaking at a turn. Uh, I'm going to share one this morning on what is expository preaching. John's going to share the second session on why expository preaching. And then in the afternoon, we're going to talk about how to do it, the nuts and bolts of how to do it, and then have a Q&A. And um, just to, to help uh, with that... I also brought, and I'll have available, I mean, not as many. I didn't know. We thought we'd get, you know, 20 people coming to this. So I brought a few sermon samples of just the manuscript that I go to the pulpit with. And also I brought a yellow pad of, of how I arrived from point A to point B to point C to a, a finished um, message of all the ruminations of my thoughts that go down on on, uh, on paper. I always begin my sermon with a pencil and paper. It's just who I am. It's what I've done. I, must, I, think, I think through the end of a pencil better than through a computer. It eventually goes on a computer and on an iPad, but it always starts with a, a pad of paper and, and pencil. Um, so I want to share with you today about expository preaching and uh, what it is. So let's do what we should always do before we begin any session and just commit this to the Lord. Father, thank you that we can come together to consider in depth what we love to do, what we're called to do, 
what you've given us the privilege of doing. That is conveying the word of truth to a congregation that comes or a class that comes, a group that might come to hear from heaven. And as John Stott said, we're bridge builders. We're standing in the gap. We're connecting two worlds together. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Thank you for those who have come. For many, this is a day off, and so I'm especially grateful for their commitment to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, There's a lot of different passages that I thought of that I could start with today, and um, one famous one is in the book of Acts. If you remember the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip approaching the chariot, and the guy in the chariot, the eunuch, was reading from Isaiah 53, and Philip, because the Spirit said, go join yourself to the chariot, Philip said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, well, how can I unless somebody guides me? And I love that passage because it shows us our role to attach ourselves to somebody else and to guide them in the understanding of the word. What a privilege that is. But the great text, and and there's a couple of them that I'll look at with you today, but the great text on expository preaching from the Old Testament is in the book of Nehemiah. You know it. It's when Ezra stood on the pulpit made out of wood and the people stood to hear him. And we're told in that chapter, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, and so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, and they helped the people to understand the reading. Let me read that again in the New International Version. Making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Now listen to it in the New Living. He clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. That's a good starting point for expository preaching. And really, what we're doing in expository preaching is we're being exact. And I hope that at the end of this conference today, we will learn how to be exact with the Scripture, because the most exacting way to teach and preach the Bible is an expository method. There's a great story about Sir William Osler, the physician and professor who assembled his medical students and had on his desk a patient's body fluid. I don't know what fluid it was, but he had a a flask of body fluid. And he said uh, to them, it is possible to determine the disease of the patient by tasting the fluid. Of course, they looked at him like, are you nuts? Are you going to do what I think you're going to do? And he did. He dipped his finger into the flask of body fluid, put his finger to his mouth, and then he said, now, I am going to pass this around, and I want each of you to dip your finger in the flask, and I want you to taste, and I want you to tell me what the diagnosis is. And what he did is he said, I want to teach you how to be exact. So he passed it around, and after everybody sampled it, he said, Now, gentlemen, I want to explain to you what I meant by exactness. 
had you observed very critically, you would have seen that I dipped my index finger in the flask, but I put my middle finger to my mouth. Great to find that out after the fact. Expository preaching will help you observe and interpret and apply the text in a very exact manner. Now, expository preaching is a very different kind of communicating. Let me just tell you that it's the most restrictive kind of preaching. And because it's the most restrictive kind of preaching, it is, it is the safest preaching for your congregation. Why do I say safe? Because you know what it says in the book of Hebrews, that we will give an account for the souls of those that we minister to. And so it behooves us to be very exact in handling the Word of God. So I want to give you two things this morning. The definition of expository preaching and the distinctions of expository preaching. Now again, I've been assigned the task of explaining what it is. So I want to give you the definition and then the distinctions. In, in giving a definition of expository preaching and telling you what it is, it's sometimes helpful to tell you what it's not. Because when you compare one to another, you go, I can understand it because I know what it's not. Expository preaching is not reading and rambling. It's not just going verse to verse to verse without any kind of unity, just reading and then saying, this sort of speaks to me about this and this speaks to me about that. That is not expository preaching. Expository preaching is not a mass of disconnected suggestions with a few smattering of Bible verses where we're just sharing from the heart. That is not expository preaching. Expository preaching is not just giving a devotional talk. Expository preaching is not providing a detailed outline and just working from the outline. Expository preaching, bottom line, is not preaching about the Bible. Expository preaching is preaching the Bible. It's not preaching about the Bible, it's preaching the Bible itself. Now, I've given um, a little handout, or this church has graciously provided copies of a handout of, of different kinds of sermons. And if you have that, I want to refer that to you now, because expository preaching is to be distinguished between two other types. And um, as you're just sort of familiarizing yourself with this, let me say that what a lot of people think is expository preaching is not. For example, did you know that Charles Spurgeon was not an expositor? He was a textual preacher, and I think you'll see it. If you've studied his sermons, and, and I've studied them long, and I've studied people like G. Campbell Morgan and, and Lloyd-Jones, and there are some hefty expository preachers there. But Spurgeon, on the other hand, was more of a textual, not a topical, but a textual preacher. So let's begin by looking at the topical sermon. And again, you have some examples we'll look at. A topical sermon is where the preacher takes from the text the topic itself and the topic only. From there, it becomes a point of departure. Often there are various Bible verses uh, that are loosely connected to a theme. And in a topical sermon, it's the theme or the topic that is most important. You select the topic, you select the points, and you can select as many points as you want or as few points as you'd like. Look at the first example on your handout sheet. 
redemption. That's a topical sermon. Number one, the meaning of redemption. Number two, the necessity of redemption. Number three, the method of redemption. Number four, the results of redemption. You could take out the last two and just preach on the first two. You could keep three and leave out the fourth. You could add three or four more points. That's a topical sermon. You have a text. The text provides the topic. You invent the points and you say anything about those points that you want to preach. That is a topical sermon. Look at the second example. Evidences of God's love. As seen in the Bible, there's a lot of verses that speak to that. As seen in nature, how God provided graciously for us. As seen in providence, how God directs one's life. Now those are points that are all made up. It's where you look at a topic and you say, I would like to say this about that topic. The points are selected, invented by the preacher, and as many or as few as you would like. Now, there's some pros and cons to this. I hope that you won't dismiss any of these methods of giving sermons, but see that all of them have a place. Now, I'm vying for the for the expository sermon occupying the highest place. But there are pros and cons of all these types. There's pros and cons of topical sermons. Here's the first pro. When you preach or teach topically, you can deal with a subject, treat a subject that is not treated by a single passage of Scripture. And rarely will you find a topic completely covered by a single passage of Scripture. That's why there are systematic theologies. Because people will cull through the scriptures and get all of the different texts in the Bible from beginning to end and systematize them and categorize them by topic so that we can go through it and understand what the Bible says about that topic. So it can be helpful. That is one of the pros. If you want to cover a subject in a general way, you'd use a topical sermon. If you're going to speak at a luncheon and you're not going to be able to provide an in-depth expository sermon because... That is not your goal or that is not your assignment. If you're going to preach at a crusade, you're probably going to deal with a topic more so than an expository sermon or probably more applicable to our ministry. If you're going to introduce a series of sermons, you may want to begin with a topical one. So let's say you're going to preach on Matthew 24 or Revelation, but you want to begin talking about prophecy in the Bible and why it's important. You could begin with either a textual or a topical message to introduce it. So that's a topical sermon. Here's the cons. Here's the downside of a topical message. Topical sermons are more apt to be colored by the fancies and whims of the preacher himself. Because, after all, you're providing the topic. The text is only a point of departure and reference. You're inventing the points. So if you have a prejudice or a hobby horse you're going to be more apt to ride that in a message like this. Also, when you preach topically, a downside is you may not approach it in a balanced way. It might not be a true balance of the truth that you're presenting because, after all, you're the one selecting the points to be covered. It may be balanced if you know what the Scripture says about that topic, But you might not know all that the Scripture says about that topic. And you say, I like what it says about this and what it says about that. And those are the points only that I'm going to select. So you have a tendency to become imbalanced. 
Also, because you're so general in your scope, you're not going to really give to people what the Bible says. Now, if you ever listen to liberal preachers, people who do not believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and inerrant, they invariably choose to preach topical sermons. Because they don't have to get down to the nitty-gritty of the application of the words because they're not really sure that this thing is really inspired and relevant for today. So liberals will preach topically, almost invariably. So that's number one. That's the, that's the topical message. Then I've also listed, oh, before we do, I'll give you an example. I preached an Easter message on example number three of the topical sermon. And I decided to use a topical approach. I don't do it often. I rarely do it. But I did it. It was an Easter message, and I wanted to talk about the cross. So I began in Matthew 16, where Jesus predicted the cross. And you'll notice the title is The Cross on the Billboard of Eternity. I wanted people to know that the cross was always in in the plan of God. So Matthew 16, Jesus predicted the cross. You know the passage. Number two, Jesus' forerunner predicted the cross. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So even before Jesus predicted the cross, his forerunner predicted that this would be the one who would bring atonement. Number three, the visitors at Jesus' birth predicted the cross. The angelic visitors called him a savior. Only sinners need saviors. The royal visitors, the Kings brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, an embalming fluid, predicting the death. Number four, the prophets predicted the death of Christ. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Genesis 22. So you can see what I'm doing. I'm starting with Jesus and then going backward to John and backward to the birth of Jesus and backward to the prophets. And then finally, the last point was all the way back, the Godhead predicted his death. In Revelation, he's called the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth. So I wanted to give people in a topical message a view of the cross, and I couldn't treat it with one particular passage alone. So it was a great Easter message and an introductory message to a series. Now the textual sermon. The textual sermon is a little more restrictive than the topical sermon. Because here, the preacher selects not only the topic that the text provides, but also the main divisions of his message come from the text. So it's called a textual sermon. Um, The divisions come from the text. The subdivisions, or how you're going to treat and what you're going to say about 1, 2, 3, and 4, the little subdivisions, those you add. Those you provide, you are making those up. So if you look again at the little example sheet that you have under textual sermon, uh, the minister as an example is a textual sermon from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And let's just read that text. It's provided for us. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. The outline is provided. And so the title... A minister or the minister is an example, an example in the word, an example in conduct, an example in love. It's outlined according to the text. The main divisions come from the text. Now, you'll, you'll also notice it's only one verse here. It's only one verse. 
So that's sort of a, an easy one to show you a, a textually outlined message. Now, what you say about these points is up to you. What you say about how a minister is an example in word and how a minister is an example in conduct, those subdivisions are up to the whims of the preacher once again. It's more restrictive than the topical. It's much less restrictive than the expository. And it gives the preacher a lot of leeway in sharing what he wants to share. Um, pros. Pros and cons. What are the, the upswings and what's the downside to uh, a textual sermon? Well, here's the positive. It's certainly uh, more biblical than the topical message. Uh, not tons necessarily, but it is certainly a more biblical. It will help people remember it because you're giving them just some, some basic points to grab a hold of. Um, and sometimes a textual message is enough to really meet the needs of the congregation or the audience that you're speaking to. Um, I'll show you an example from John 3.16. Now, this is example number two on your sheet. This is a message that I preached I think, it, again, it might have been at an Easter service, but I'm not sure. John 3.16. Pretty straightforward, textually outlined sermon. It's called, Has God Got a Plan for You? The origination of this plan? For God. Started in the mind and the heart of God. Nobody made this up. It didn't come from somebody ingeniously thinking, let's start a new religion. This began with God. Number two, the motivation of God's plan. God loved. God so loved. He didn't hate. He wasn't angry. He so loved the population this plan is intended for, the world. The demonstration of God's plan. How did he show it? That he gave his only son. The invitation of God's plan. Whoever, whosoever, anyone can come. The condition of God's plan. Believes. One has to believe in him. And finally, number seven, the ramifications of God's plan. It will not perish, but have everlasting life. So there is John 3.16, the most famous passage in the Bible, in a straightforward textual treatment. It could be treated differently. I chose to treat it this way. I saw the text unfolding with these main points, and that's how I presented it. What I said about those points in between was up to me. It did not come from the text. I, I introduced it into the sermon itself. So, there's pros to it. The cons, the downside of preaching like this, are the same cons of preaching a topical message, but less so. Uh, again, uh, uh, it gives you more leeway to treat and color the text of Scripture or say what you want to say or ride a whim or a hobby horse, but less so. Third, and really what this whole conference is about is the expository sermon. Now, the expository sermon will focus primarily on the text in its context. It's usually a longer portion of Scripture. It's not one verse. It demands a paragraph, sometimes even a chapter. This is a truly biblical way to preach. In essence, an expository preaching is ascertaining what God said in his word and declaring that and that only. That's what it is. 
ascertaining what God has said in his word and giving that and that only. It is more restrictive. It is much safer. But people will walk away knowing God said that to me, not some preacher. That's what the Bible says. And it's shown, it's sewn up like a lawyer would would bring a court case, and there's no doubt, there's no dispute, and if there is a disputed text, you're honest enough to discuss that, honestly. John Stott, and you've been given, uh, I think, the interview that Albert Moeller did with Dr. John Stott some years back on Between Two Worlds. John, thank you for doing that. It was a great interview on Al Moeller's website. Um, Here's a little section of that. He was asked by Moeller, Stott was asked, what is biblical preaching? And one thing that really stuck out to me were these words. I believe that to preach or to expound the scriptures is to open up the inspired text with such faithfulness and sensitivity that God's voice is heard and his people obey him. So what does it mean practically? It means that the preacher takes from the text... The topic, or the main theme, the main divisions, and all the subdivisions. It means that no idea can be introduced into the text unless it is in the text. You don't introduce something in there. You don't say, oh, and by the way, this reminds me of, and then you go off on a tirade for 10 minutes. You don't introduce anything new into the text, but only what is provided by the text. Now, when you preach this way, you're demonstrating to people that you believe that every word of Scripture is inspired. And, well, we have this phrase, and who cares what this means, but really, look at that one word. That's really cool right there. What you're saying is you believe that every single word, every single phrase was placed there by the Holy Spirit And thus, every word, every phrase, every sentence demands not to be treated superficially, but responsibly. That's what you're saying. I mentioned it's usually based on a longer passage of Scripture, usually a paragraph. That's how I typically do it. Um, To preach an expository sermon is exposition of that passage alone. You may use other passages to support or reinforce, but you're primarily only doing that to buttress what is in that text itself. That's expository preaching. It's an inductive approach. It's the approach that says, I'll let the Bible speak for itself. God can say what he wants to say very easily. Thank you. I don't have to speak for him. This is what he said. It's also exegetical. It's a critical approach. Um, It demands the interpretation of a text with accuracy. And you only interpret a text. Let me back up. You only make application once you have made adequate interpretation. You don't make interpretation until you've made adequate observation. So it demands a critical observation of the text. That's usually, I find, the hardest part, the most exacting, the the most laborious. And then only once you've observed and you find out what's there then you find out what it means that's interpretation and only after you found out what it means to the original hearers by the original authors then you make an application so it is exacting and it is exegetical but i think when we do this we're fulfilling what paul said to timothy second timothy 2:15 
Be diligent to present yourself to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately or rightly dividing, handling accurately the word of truth. You have also on your uh, handout some examples of an expository sermon. So you can just you can look at what I mean by the topic, the main divisions, and the subdivisions. You look at the first example, James chapter 1 on temptation. Look at the three main points that come out of that little text. The origin of temptation, the results of yielding to temptation, the reward for enduring temptation. Those are the big points that come out of the text. Also, what comes out of the text are the subdivisions, the A and B points. So the origin of temptation, it's not from God. Verse 13 comes from the text itself. It is from inward desire, verse 14. Wars within us, James said. Look at the second point, the results of yielding to temptation. First sin, then death. And actually, you could do, you, you can do three points on that if, if you want to, if you look at the text. But that's, don't have time to do that. And then third, the reward for enduring temptation. Blessed is the one that endures temptation. So blessedness, you describe what that is, and a crown of life. All of that is found in the text. Nobody invented that and threw that in and added it. It's from the text itself. And you can help people understand that. Look at the second example, what makes a mature Christian. I'll let you just take these and study them on your own rather than eating up the time, but, but you have them and, and you can look at them later. So that's the definition. If that's okay, that's the definition of expository preaching in a nutshell. I want to move on to the second division of this first session, and that is the distinctions of it. The distinctions. Now, to help me, I brought a little illustration you may have seen before. We're going to throw it up on the screen of a ladder. Can we get that up? There's the nuts and bolts of expository preaching right there. But you're about to have a ladder. Okay. Um, I'm using this because when I took a class years ago on homiletics, this was the illustration used. It just stuck with me. I just love it. Okay, so just, just look at the picture for a moment. And picture your sermon, your expository sermon, as that ladder. You have a tree. You have fruit in the tree. You have birds in the air as well. But you have fruit on a tree. And um, uh, you have the ladder that is leaning up against the tree. And think of your job as helping the congregation move up the ladder. And they... They end up, the end of the sermon, the climax of the sermon is they're standing on the top rung of the ladder and the fruit is easily within reach and they're being nourished. They're picking it themselves. They see it themselves. They get it themselves. They go, yeah, I see it. It speaks to me. You don't want to be the preacher who climbs up the ladder himself, grabs the fruit and throws it down at the people. That's not expository preaching. Expository preaching is is you construct a means by which you're taking people point by point up the ladder, allowing them to take God's fruit and eat it themselves. Now, there's something to notice about the ladder. Uh, There's two sides, two parallel sides that are vertical, and then there's rungs of the ladder. The rungs of the ladder, or the steps, those are the points. There's the introduction, 
point, 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 subpoint, 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 and conclusion at the end. Conclusion is at the top of the ladder. On the left stay of the ladder is written the word text. On the other one is written the word proposition, the text and the proposition. So looking at the latter, I now want to talk about the distinctions of expository preaching. These are traits of a good sermon. These are characteristics of a good, solid, expository sermon. And there are four good traits. And and by the way, you're noticing that I'm preaching a topical sermon right now. I began with the text. I departed from the text. I'll never return to the text. But I'm making up the points. Okay? But at least I'm honest about it. Four good characteristics of a sermon. Unity, progress, symmetry, climax, or the climactic point. Unity, progress, symmetry, and the climactic point, or the end. Let's talk about the first one, unity. In unity, every point, look at the ladder again, every rung of the ladder, every point, connects to two things, the text and the proposition. When I say proposition, what is that? The proposition is the big idea, the main theme. Every single paragraph of Scripture has a single theme. There may be many points, there may be many words, there may be many ideas, but it has a single theme. That's how people write. They write in paragraphs and they write in blocks of thought. Find what is the main block of thought in that paragraph. That becomes the proposition. The proposition and the text are parallel because the proposition is what the text says. So that all the points you make are firmly connected to the text and firmly connected to the proposition. Effectiveness in preaching demands a single theme. A single theme. Expository preaching is not an, it's not an expository sermon unless it has this theme. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of little talks strung together. I kind of want to say a few things today. Okay, you'll say a few things, and nobody will remember any of those things unless it has a single theme that you're driving home. So, unity. I'll give you, I'll give you a fun little example. Going way back now in the world of advertising. When Marlboro Cigarette Company was first marketing cigarettes, this is when they could, in those days, they, um, they were marketing indiscriminately to men and women. And they discovered they were only capturing 1% of the total cigarette sales in our country. So they did a little research to find out why. And they discovered that men in those days smoked cigarettes because they thought it made them more masculine. Women smoked, they found out, because they thought it was more attractive to men. Yuck. When Marlboro found that out, they thought, we have, to, we have to select a theme. We have to focus our advertising. So they dropped even advertising to women when they found that out. And they started advertising the Marlboro Man. The Marlboro Man came out as a result of focused research to find out why people buy cigarettes. And because men thought that it made them more masculine, that's what they pitched. And they got the lion's share of the sales. What did they do? They selected a theme and they went after it. That was the big idea. Every text, every paragraph has an emphasis. 
don't give it one of your own. Don't make this up. Discover what it is. It's called exposition. You're exposing the text. You're finding out what is already there. You don't impose one on it. Here's an example of uh, of unity. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's a few different little themes that are there. There's a few different ideas that are in that one verse. You could preach on on the sin of man because it says while we were sinners. You could preach on the death of Jesus Christ because it mentions Christ died for us. You could you could preach on the love of God because it talks about the love of God. But none of those things are the main thought. The main thought is God demonstrates his love. That's the main thought. God demonstrates his love. Now I can construct a sermon based on that. It would be a textual sermon. I could call it, love is not silent. And point number one could be, what God demonstrates, which is his love. My second point, when God demonstrates it, while we were still sinners. And my third point could be, how did God demonstrate it? Christ died for us. Now I've captured the main point. I have the text. I have the proposition. And every single point in unity is connected to each other. Let me say that when you're preaching a sermon, you're starting your, um, your first notes and you're going over the text. Don't proceed until you have the text and the proposition. Until you have the main idea. I always tell, when I, and I teach this to a group of people every year, a group of students, preachers. Um, write down at the top of your page, when you're going through the text and you're discovering what the main theme is, write that down in a single sentence at the top of your page. Write it down. I could say, God demonstrates his love. That's the main theme of the paragraph. Because otherwise, here's what happens. Um, It's like going out to a shooting range with a bow and arrow. There's two ways to get a bullseye. One, you can aim for it, announce that you're going to hit it, pull the bow, and the arrow is um, launched from the bow and it hits the target. Or you can just shoot your arrows randomly, walk up to where they landed, and draw a bullseye around it. A lot of people preach that way. You want to announce what you're going to preach. You want to hit the bullseye and then let them see what you were aiming at all along. Um, When I talk about unity as the the first um, distinction, keep this in mind when you plan your whole service. I mean, you, you could plan your whole service around this. You could build a service around the theme of the scripture. You could call your song leader and say, the main thought of the text is this. How about some songs about that? You could have the opening prayer by somebody that deals with that. Or you could have a reading of scripture that complements that. A psalm that complements that. All of the, the entire uh, service in unity could be around that theme that comes from the text. So number one is unity. That's the first distinction. The second one is progress. You, you can see that because we're using a ladder that you're wanting a person climbing the ladder to, to make progress. That's why you have steps. That's why you have rungs of the ladder. So when you're preparing and preaching, be aware of the logical flow of the passage. The passage has its own flow. It has its own movement. 
And I'll tell you this, listening to a sermon is like riding a bicycle. Once you stop, you fall off. Once you lose progress, you fall off. If you've ever listened to a preacher and then all of a sudden you go, now, wasn't he just like talking about, how, how did we get, I'm lost. And you can tell when people fall off the bicycle. They're doing this. They're talking to their friends or they're doing something else. You can see when they're disengaged. They've fallen off the bicycle. And what typically happens is that progress has been lost. And so be aware of the flow and the progress of the passage. The sermon should be going somewhere. Each rung of the ladder is rising up higher and higher. So once you find the dominant thought, the dominant thought or the proposition or the big idea or the theme, whatever you want to call it, attached to the text, then you make sure that all those points are related to the main idea and there's progress in the way that they're placed into the message. When you preach this way, you become clear. Don't you want to be clear? Somebody once said, never preach to be understood. Preach so that it's impossible to be misunderstood. That's being clear. You'll also become precise. If there's one thing we're doing in this seminar today is is vying for and, and putting the gavel firmly down for precision. Be precise. Use the right word. Think that through before you speak it. Um, a good book to get is called A Synonym Finder. There's a thesaurus, but I have one called A Synonym Finder that's very helpful in looking at alternate words and precise words with precise meanings. Why should we do that? Well, Proverbs 25 is a good idea. Words fitly spoken are like apples of gold in settings of silver. Now, progress will help the delivery of the sermon as well because you're building point to point to point to the climactic moment. Let's look at the third, symmetry. Symmetry. Symmetry is a sense of proportion. Wouldn't it be odd if you saw a ladder and you had the lower rung and then a space of three feet or four feet and then another rung and then six inches after that another rung and another rung and another rung? It's going to be hard to navigate this ladder. There's no sense of proportion. A sermon needs a sense of proportion. Um, symmetry is important to architecture as well as preaching. Okay, here's an example. You go up to a house. First thing you see is a porch, and you marvel that the porch is 4,500 square feet. It's huge. You go into the front door, and the, and the house is only 300 square feet. You are assaulted because of the lack of proportion. Your sense of pro- proportion is out of whack. It doesn't make sense. The introduction of a sermon shouldn't be 30 minutes and the bulk of it 10 minutes. It defies the sense of proportion. So there needs to be some kind of symmetry. The steps of the ladder, the points of the sermon need to be well-spaced and showing people how you get to the next step. This is important. When you're making points in a sermon, it's always bad form to go, point number one, and then say something. Point number two. Um, It's just like your body. You have a, a, a skeleton, but you don't want to say, see my rib here? What do you think of that rib? See that? So you have ribs, you have a framework, but you don't need to, like, point them out all the time. And you've got points in a sermon, but you can just say there's four characteristics of God's love that this text tells us about. The first characteristic is, and you say it, you don't have to say point number one, point number two. It's like your ribs poking out. So uh, 
So you, you want to show, though, how one step leads to another. Now, here's a little key. Sometimes you'll read in a passage something that demands a little more explanation. It could be a definition. It could be a great doctrine of the Bible that you, you need to, to bring people up to par on because it is mentioned. Let's say a priest comes in. Well, you may want to go back briefly and talk about the priesthood in Israel because you're laying a foundation for a very important truth that is about to take place. And if that is pertinent to the flow of the passage, then, then lay that foundation for those important truths. Okay, finally is climax or the climactic point, the highest point of the sermon. The sermon is going somewhere. It has a beginning. It has an ending. Or like an airplane, it's taking off. It's flying and it's landing. When you have a climactic moment in the sermon, you're landing the airplane. Here's not how to land an airplane. Crash. And when you say, oop, we're out of time, let's pray. That's sort of a crash landing, right? Or if you preach... I'll put Paul on the spot, and you keep saying, finally, my brethren, finally, my brethren, oh, finally, my brethren. You keep saying, I'm closing now, and 30 minutes later, the plane is still circling the field. That's not a good landing. There are better landings, and that, that is the climactic point. So, so um, another way to look at it is a merry-go-round. You know, merry-go-rounds have movement, right? But they never arrive anywhere. There's never a beginning and there's never an ending. And some sermons never have beginnings and they never have endings. It's just merry-go-round. It's like pick up where we left off and we'll be going around and around. Every week, folks, come and see the merry-go-round. So you want to leave them with something, and that is application. This is where you, like Paul... Come to the point in your message where you say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And you're encouraging them to make a decision or you're giving them tools to live by or a choice to make. When you're making a climactic point, the climax of your sermon, you can use emotion. And and, and again, this is not an acting class and you don't, but... Sometimes it demands um, volume. Sometimes it demands more diminutive, kind of a silence, kind of a reverential feel. But uh, G. Campbell Morgan, whom John mentioned, was a great believer in using passion in sermons. He thought it was an essential ingredient to effective preaching, especially in the climactic moment of the sermon. And uh, he has a great example. G. Campbell Morgan recalls a conversation between a famous English actor and a preacher living in the same town. The English actor was named McCready. The preacher was an unknown name. Morgan didn't name him. This preacher was uh, miffed that so many people were going to the theater to watch McCready act, and people weren't coming to hear him preach God's truth. And so he was, felt like he was competing with the world. And so he went to pay a visit to McCready, the actor, and find out why it is people want to come and see you spout off something that isn't true, and I've got God's holy word, and they're not coming to hear me. And McCready said, this is quite simple. I present my fiction as though it were truth. You present your truth as though it were fiction. Ouch. 
This is God's truth presented as truth. Now, you don't need to be theatrical. You just need to know how to wield the sword, right? This is the sword of the Spirit. Learn how to wield the sword. Become good at the sword, at sword play. There were two um, old Greek statesmen years ago. One was named Cicero. The other was named Demosthenes. And whenever Cicero spoke, people would walk away going, Wow, how well he spoke. But whenever Demosthenes would speak, people would say, let us march. That's the goal. The goal of expository preaching, to ascertain what God has said in his word, to deliver that so that people won't go, I love that preacher. He speaks so well. But they'd say, we're going to march. We're in this battle together. Now, remember, finally, my brethren, remember, <laughs> it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God that is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Your stories and illustrations are not. Neither are mine. Current events are good. Illustrations are good. They let some light in. We'll talk about that in the in the second session this afternoon. And they help with the texture of the message. But any of those things, any of those illustrations, statistics, etc., they do not have the power or the authority that the Word of God has. And a sermon can be beautiful, and it should be. It can be organized, and it should be. It can be powerfully preached, and it should be. But above all, make sure it's biblical. A biblical sermon. Only then will you water hearts. Only then. One of my favorite stories is about an American Indian, Native American, who went to a church to hear a preacher. The preacher was not prepared. And so to cover up his ill-preparedness, he would pound the pulpit and shout in the sermon and a lot of theatrics. In fact, some people said afterwards, boy, he preached up a storm. And so they asked the Native American, well, what did you think? And he gave six short words. He said, high wind, big thunder, no rain. <laughs> that good? High wind, <laughs> big thunder, no rain. Let's water their hearts, gentlemen, with God's truth. Thank you, Father. The people are refreshed when your word is preached as it is written with the applications and the truth that your spirit has provided. We are imperfect instruments, but we're instruments nonetheless. We stand in the gap. We're building the bridge from an ancient language, ancient culture, ancient paradigms to the modern world. And your word is alive. Your word is active. I pray that we would not stand in its way, but unleash it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. That was awesome. Got a couple of announcements. Uh, Dave Ford is here with, uh, how many of you know about Dave and his books from England? Nobody.